Um, with all that said, we're going to jump right in. If you want to grab a Bible or turn on your phone or your device or whatever you have, we're going to be in Genesis 1. And then if you want to keep a thumb in your Bible, or if you just want to get the search wheel ready, because I think this is kind of the new reality. It's not even the new reality. It is the reality. If you want to get your search wheel ready, we'll be in Romans chapter 8 as well. You know, one of the things around here that you probably know if you're part of the story here is that we're pretty planned out with our teachings and our themes. Um, obviously, the church is not all about information, but one of the things we hold to dearly here is just a strategy around leading our community in particular themes, and that comes through the teaching, and a particular trajectory that we go on. And this is usually planned months and months in advance. We just finished walking through Song of Songs, and we'd been preparing for that for a number of months. Actually, Song of Songs was like a couple years probably in the making. And yet through all of the disorientation again with trying to gather in person and then now harder and more strict measures for lockdown, um, not only does it kind of feel like it's kind of a confusing time, I know you feel this, many of you are parents and with the schooling and online school, everything that's going on in our moment. I have not, I mean, we've had many things on the burner of what we'd like to kind of lead our community in as far as themes, but I feel like we're in a season right now where we're just, I'm just going to, over the next few weeks, have some reflections on some things that I think are really meaningful, kind of in our cultural moment and in our time. And it's uh, unusual for us to be like this. Again, normally we're well prepared, but I've just been having the sense with all that's going on and a lot of the unknown that we just take some time to reflect. As many of you may know, this week was Earth Day. I think it was on Thursday. We had Earth Day. Many organizations, including our kids' schools, many of our kids' schools, actually had a week-long emphasis on Earth Day and just a focus on caring for the Earth, which is fantastic. We're part of a moment right now where I think there's a, a consciousness, an awareness of treating well the very space and places that we inhabit. And I know, listen, I know this is a super hot topic right now. I'm actually, I've been naive to the politicalness around this particular topic. It is a hot political t topic right now. I get that. And yet the scriptures have a lot to say for us as the Jesus community. It is hot. It's funny how this, this issue has really been divided to left and right. So fascinating. Actually, a couple of years ago, we had wanted to talk about creation care as a, as a church community. And so, and we don't do this often, but what we did is we took some, I guess, a little bit of money and wanted to do a promoted post on our social media accounts. We just felt like uh, creation and climate and d d these different things are really important. People have questions about them. And so we thought, let's do a little post, a little promotion, and invite people to join us. And as we tried to promote these posts on the different social outlets, we actually got denied the, the ability to post about this because it had to do with what had the potential of being climate change. And it was just interesting. We were censored. It was kind of crazy. And we didn't care enough to look deeper into it. I'm not I'm not here to talk about censorship at all. I don't really care, to be honest with you. I always say, my life is very boring. There's not a whole lot to censor. But anyways, that's for another teaching another time. But it was just fascinating to me, just the division around this, right? Like that we couldn't even post about creation care or anything to do with earth care or climate change or climate care at all without it becoming censored. We live in a moment where 
this has been politicized left and right. And if you know me and you know us, we don't come from that at all. One of the things we want to be is just really faithful to the scriptures. We want to be faithful to what the Bible says. And I think it actually has something to say from Genesis all, all the way to Revelation, that the meta narrative of scripture has a lot to say with how you and I actually care for the earth. So I know there's the tendency, and there's going to be a tendency in some people to say, ah, oh, here we go, Praxis Church, Drew Fest, you hippie liberals, right? I even hear uh, this word right now for people that have any concern, it seems, in the church for things like racial justice and social justice, or what I would call biblical justice, things like caring for the poor and the marginalized, things like climate care, all of these different issues. A lot of people now are pointing to communities and pastors and saying, oh, look, here we go. Here are the woke people. Here are the woke Jesus followers. And to be honest with you, I I wrestle through that because I don't even really know what that means. Maybe this is for another time, but it's just so funny to me how in the Western world, we have very much propagated, hey, here's what we want you to do. Your soul is at stake. Pray a prayer and get into heaven when you die. And that's where it ends. And I don't see myself as woke. Again, I don't even really know what that means. I don't see our community as woke. I don't even, I I don't know what that means. But I do think it goes beyond just, hey, pray a prayer and get into heaven when you die. That there's actually a call for Jesus followers to live in a particular way. And so that's why we talk about racial issues and racism and racial injustice. That's why at the heart of it, this community, Heather and myself, are committed to caring for the marginalized, the poor. I don't know if you know this right now, but we we talk about COVID right now in our moment, but let's be honest, COVID is ravaging our brothers and sisters in the developed world right now. Just reading articles this week. We live in light of this saving work that Jesus has brought. When we talk about the poor and the marginalized and when we talk about things like caring for the planet. This is not about being woke or being enlightened as much as really caring for what God has entrusted us with. And I think there's a biblical theology here. There's a biblical lens in which I think we're called to live this out. And it goes beyond just, hey, we need to pray a prayer so that someday we get the heck out of here as we're going to talk about this idea of ecology or caring and stewarding God's gift of this world to us has a lot to do with how we think about the future and our eschatology. So one of the things I just want to ask all of us as we kind of engage this and we look at Genesis 1 here is what are we called to do, right? You and I, what are we called to do? Are we called just to go out and to save souls? Let me just say that salvation is a beautiful and central thing when it comes to the gospel. And we are here to see God reconcile the world to himself. And we, listen, fundamentally we believe that putting your trust in Jesus and putting your allegiance in him is the central thing in this whole idea of the gospel and what God has done, absolutely. But what are we called to do? It's interesting in the early pages of Genesis, that we get a clear picture of what proto-human is actually called to do and what they're called to live into as people in God's good world. Now, I know we've gone back to Genesis 1 a ton, especially in Song of Songs, especially Mike Erie, when he was teaching us, went back almost every week to Genesis 1. I don't want this to, to pass us by, 
But I want us to kind of lean in here to the reality that Genesis 1 actually leads us to what humans are called to do and to become and how they're called to steward in God's world. Beyond the the idea of whether Adam and Eve were the first humans on earth, uh, I really believe that this has to do more with function than anything. What this story is telling us is the function of which humans live into. And I think that is, is as applicable now as it was back millennia ago. So listen to what Genesis 1 says. If you look down, verse 26, we know this well. We've talked a bit about it. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures, all the creatures sorry, that move along the ground. Then it says this, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then listen to this. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, he wasn't done. I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And so just from this, like this creation account, this Hebrew creation story, we see that God is trying to communicate to people through his word a few things. One, humans are created in the image of God. All of us. What's, what's head-turning here and would have been head-turning in the ancient Near East and in the first century, was, and especially the ancient Near East and all the other counter kind of creation narratives, is that God created male and female in his image. I mean, that, that is just, to us, I know we live in an egalitarian society, but that is just mind-bending, that female would even be recognized. I mean, uh, women in the ancient Near East were often treated as property and a commodity. And here, the Hebrew creation account, God's vision for the world is that all of us are created in his image. But not only that, we also see that humans were created to rule, right? Humans were created to come alongside God and rule. The word here is to have dominion, to create and come alongside with God. That God created humans in this world, in this garden we see, teeming with beauty, and they are called to push the creation project forward. You know, my mind always goes back to Narnia. I've been reading through the Narnia series with my kids for a number of years now, and I think of the, the London cab driver and his wife who become king and queen of Narnia and are called to give dominion and have dominion over the earth. Or our friends Peter, Edmund, Lucy, I forget all the, the characters' names, but these people that are Aslan makes as the kings and queens of Narnia, that's actually the picture we get from the creation account of our role to steward God's good world. And then three, humans were created to multiply and to fill the earth. That there's this call to go and to make babies and to fill the earth and to create society and culture and to take the creation project forward. And one of the things we have to grapple with is you cannot disconnect following God and caring for creation. 
You cannot, you and I cannot disconnect the reality that God has put us here to steward and care for his good world, and we cannot separate that from following him. You know, in the story, we actually get a picture that sin doesn't just fracture our relationship with God. If you flip a couple pages over from where we just read, you see the fall and human sin and rebellion come into the world, but often we talk about fallen humans, but we cannot get past the reality that sin and the fall and what we read early on in these creation accounts is that sin actually fractures our call to steward the planet. That every fra- everything, everything we see is fallen. Humans are fallen. The earth is fallen and broken. And we look around and we see all things that are happening in our world. And we see, obviously, humans are very much responsible for much of the injustice in our world. But at the seams, we see that the world has been bent and broken. And one of the things we just have to grapple with then is our call in this moment in light of creation and the call to steward and the fall that we see and we read about. You know, there are brothers and sisters. I know sometimes when we come to the idea of creation care, when we talk about climate and our earth, there is a tendency to look at our own situation, especially in the developed West, and look and go, I mean, this isn't affecting us at all. Like, I hear about climate policies and all these things, and does it really matter? I would want to remind us that there are, and this is just, I'm not running any political line here. I'm not left or right. Those of you that know me well are just laughing because this is, uh, politics in that sense is not my jam. Now, I do believe Jesus has a politic that we talk lots about, but this just idea of trying to run party lines is just not my, my deal. But I will remind us that there are alarming things that are happening on our planet, and it is affecting our brothers and sisters in some of the poorest parts of the world. And that's what we need to be reminded about. Sometimes we look at our current situation and all the wealth and everything that we've accumulated kind of in the Western world. You know, in Canada, we live by some of the, uh, the cleanest and uh, m- most expansive fresh water body, bodies of water, fresh water in the world. And we look at our resources and go, hey, we're good not realizing that a lot of the injustice that is done to our planet right now is affecting those in some of the poorest parts of the world. So we get a picture, we do, from the scriptures, that you and I, as kings and queens, are called to steward and care for what God has given us. But a lot of times we get into the, kind of the banter around salvation. We get into the talk around salvation. And again, the focus, especially in the church in the modern church has been, hey, we need to get people into heaven. We have the word of God, we share the scriptures with people, we share Jesus with people, and it seems like some of this stuff is kind of pushed to the side. Very important things that our culture would say are important. Again, justice, climate control, caring for the poor and the marginalized, equity, creating an equitable society, all of these things. A lot of people have just kind of pushed that off as that has nothing to do with what the church is about. And yet, when you get to Paul, and when you get to one of Paul's most weighty letters, you see that Paul is not disembodying and categorizing all all of these different things. Paul, I think, actually, in his theology, really believed that our bodies matter, our souls matter, our being reconciled to God matters, but that this planet matters as well. 
In Romans 8, when we we actually get a picture of this, we actually see that Paul addresses this. Listen to what Paul says. If you flip to Romans 8, verse 22, this is what Paul says. He says, we know, he says this, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have been the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we have hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. Now this is, this is kind of interesting, what Paul's saying here because he's ultimately writing to Jesus followers, right? He's writing to the church in Rome. You gotta remember that Paul was not like writing to culture people, like people outside of the church. All of his letters, all of his writing were to Jesus followers in particular communities living out the way of Jesus. And Paul says here and talks a lot here about the future. Now we have to ask, like, are these people, if they're the church and a part of the church community, are they not already saved? The answer to that is yes. And yet, Paul connects creation and our bodies to a future picture of reconciliation, almost like a future salvation. You know, Paul says here that we're actually eagerly awaiting our adoption which is such, if you think about it, is kind of, if you don't understand what's happening here, is kind of a bizarre thing to say because is adoption a primary way of talking about being brought into God's family? Yes. So has the church in Rome already been adopted? The answer is yes. And yet Paul talks about it in future tense because when Paul talked about salvation, he didn't talk about it just as a past event that happened to us. He didn't didn't just talk about it as something that happens in us every single day, but he talked about it as something in the future. And you know, when the scriptures talk about salvation, you know, one one of the words or pictures we get is actually that salvation means healing. Um, you know, a lot of times the interchangeable word for salvation and healing in the New Testament, in New Testament Greek, it's the same word. And what's fascinating here is that whether it's the planet or our souls, or our bodies, these things do not need to be disconnected. We are headed somewhere. God has saved and brought salvation and brought redemption and is is wanting to reconcile the entire world. But there's also a picture that he will do that in the end. Paul connects the redemption of the creation to our redemption as followers of Jesus. And I just think it's funny because a lot of people come to Romans and they just want to talk about kind of salvation in the sense of like how we get to heaven. And yet it seems for Paul, in his mindset, it runs deeper than this. I think what Paul is saying is that to the Christians here, you've received the hope of Jesus, but we are waiting patiently for our final hope, a completely new, renewed creation, and this creation will groan no more. Did you hear the language here? The creation is groaning because in the bigger story, like we've read, we're fallen and even the creation has fallen and it is groaning to be renewed and restored. And so salvation is actually, this healing is something that we can experience now, 
But the picture is, is that you and I, if you follow Jesus, we're going somewhere and we're going to a completely healed and renewed world and we will be completely healed and renewed in everything that we are. Our bodies and how we live in this renewed world. This is the beauty of the gospel. And this is what I mean when I say, listen, this idea of inviting people to follow Jesus is so important, but it deals with every area of our lives. And this is not woke theology. This is not somehow being enlightened. This is just like the Bible and what it means for us today. I hope you're with me. And so there's this there's this connection in the scriptures between eschatology and what we think about the future and ecology or the environment. That there's a cosmic renovation that's gonna happen and that we actually participate in. And the reality is, is we're not escaping and we are not leaving the planet and we're not gonna leave it here to burn to go somewhere else. And yet, when you talk about the evangelical church at times, this is what a lot of people think is gonna happen. I'm getting the heck out of here and this whole thing is going to burn. And that is not the story. That is not the story of the, the scriptures and where it's leading us to. And it's ultimately not the story for us as the church. And so we as a community need to be conscious and actually care for the planet because we're going to do, we, we are gonna do here in the present reality of where we live, we wanna do here what we're going to do forever, right? The call is, is that we are heading somewhere and so the call is to co-rule here with God and steward creation because that is what we are going to do with our entire lives forever. I can't say it enough. Jesus is bringing his kingdom here. Just imagine with me a renewed world. No sin, no injustice, no pain, no suffering, no pollution, nothing tearing our world at the, uh, apart at the seams, no, no uh, racism, no inequality, no people living on the margins. We are heading towards a renewed planet and in that God cares about everything. And so this is super important for us. So I would say this, deeper than the reality that we just wanna leave a better planet for our kids, which is actually, I mean, that's a good posture to take. But even deeper than that is the reality that Christians push into a greater story. The story is this, we have been created to cultivate and to steward God's good world. So more than just, oh, I just want a better planet for my kids, I do. But I actually think the difference is you and I come at this different than the world. I have a lot of people in my life, and probably you do too, that are passionate about caring for the earth. And I think that's amazing. But we actually come at it from a little bit of a different perspective because we say the God who has created everything has created us to cultivate and steward with him. And then we also hold on to the reality that no matter what we do and how good we do it, by recycling, by caring, by gardening, by tending, by doing all that we do in this world, by creating less pollution, all of these things are important. One of the things that we lean into as the Jesus community is just the understanding that we don't do this on our own. We can't do this on our own. So we're super passionate about, about caring for the planet, but one of the things in our stories that would be different than maybe neighbors or friends who really want to care for the planet is we say we do everything we can in this moment to care for God's creation and then we also know we need a final salvation. We need God to come through Jesus and to renew this planet in one swoop. 
And so we live in this tension. We work hard, we care for God's planet, and we also live in the tension, just like with social justice, just like with caring for the marginalized and the poor, we also know that we can't do it on their own. Uh, the, the tension right now, and I get some of the pushback maybe to some of these things, whether it's climate care, social justice, whatever, is that there is a tendency for the world's posture to say, we're going to do this without the king. And as Christians, we say, no, we're passionate about this. We're passionate to steward and cultivate, but we can't do this without the king. You notice that posture? That's the difference. The world wants to say, we're gonna do this. We're gonna, all of our energy will be able to fix the problem. And we say, we work hard right down to the core of who we are to make this world a better place. Absolutely, because the world is going somewhere, but we also live in the posture that we can't do it all on our own. We anticipate, like, like it says here, like Paul said, we are groaning and longing for this future salvation. We are saved, we are being saved, but we long for God to come and wipe every tear away, if you're with me. And so there's a story at hand that's much bigger than, okay, let's just leave a better planet for my grandkids. I really hope I can do that. I hope there's practices that we can do that. But at a deeper level, this is a call. If you are human, and if you're actually part of the new humanity, then we are called to steward God's good world. And that should not be disconnected from us being saved by grace through faith. If anything, when we come into the reality of what God is doing in the world, this actually heightens, right? It becomes a greater reality in our lives because we've been saved by grace through faith and we brought in, we've been brought in to the reconciling love of God. And now we live in awareness of the things that God has called us to do. And that's the care for the planet. So with all that said, and we've talked about this in the past, this is just, I think, come to the surface a little this week with Earth Day and everything that's going on. Just, just, just to say, we are actually, the Christian community should be on this as a way to say, Jesus is Lord, our allegiance is to him, and we actually are carers and bearers of this great earth. Now, um, with that said, there's some practical things. And again, I've said in the past, you could Google how to care for the planet and a million things are gonna come up. I just wanna remind us that we actually as a church don't really have a, a large carbon footprint and we're really thankful and actually proud of this. So we don't have a big building, we don't have office space, we don't have a lot of printing, and obviously now COVID is just doing all sorts of things with how ministry will be done in the future. So I'm actually really proud that even as a church, we've thought consciously just about how we would steward you know, what we have, not just financially, but um, how we're affecting the earth in our, our moment and our time. Let me just, uh, just leave us with a couple things before we come to the tables. And by the tables, I mean take communion together. Um, one of the things I think we're really called to in our moment is just to live with an awareness of how we consume. So in the Western world, we uh, consume, though our population in the Western world, to even take North America, would be a fraction of the world's population, but we would be the majority of consumers. And we just, I actually think this is a spiritual practice. I know we've talked a lot about simplicity the last number of months, being conscious and aware of how we consume is really important in how we're affecting the planet. One thing in, we've talked a little bit about kind of in our home is just the three C's for us right now. Clothes, 
Uh, Clothes, coffee, and Christmas for us, okay? And we're just trying to do our part. Again, this is not some hippie liberal agenda. This is just kind of what we felt like are ways in which we can think through this. One, clothes. If you know, fast fashion is the very thing that is polluting our earth. And people, some people argue that in developed countries, people, I mean, this is op- offering people an opportunity to work, but the pollution that comes and affects op- the minority world and the, um, uh, the, the, those that are in countries that are less developed, the pollution that comes through fast fashion is crazy. And it's a lot of times connected to the amount that we consume in the West the number of outfits, the number of t-shirts, or uh, the amount of clothes that we have in the Western world is staggering, and a lot of it is because of cheap, fast fashion. And so one of the things we've just tried to think through as we kind of hit the second half of life here is just realizing to consume less and to think through uh, more ethically sound uh, clothing and to obviously consume less uh, clothing over time. Sometimes that means actually paying more for ethically sourced clothing and not buying uh, a ton of things over a year or over a couple years, but just trying to think strategically in clothing. I know it may sound like super nitty gritty, but that's just one thing for us. The other thing was coffee for us. So I have a mild addiction. Actually, it's a very strong addiction to coffee. And I, don't, I think not only is it important to have fair coffee and fair trade thinking through fair coffee and you know the coffee industries for another another day and just um, thinking through that but one thing for me too was just the pollution of being out and drinking coffee a lot whether that's for work or meeting people and so a few years ago the simple act for me was to move from paper cups all the time to when I'm in cafes and coffee shops making sure that I'm making sure that I'm drinking out of China and um, it's been just a practice that I think now, as I look back, I know I haven't been in coffee shops over COVID, but is a way to save and just little, little by little with pollution. So for us, again, clothes, coffee, and then the other thing was just Christmas. So we realized, and we've kind of put the word out, enough is enough with plastic stuff for our kids. We just noticed we buy these like plastic gifts and by the end of January, it would be in the landfill. And I just want you to do a little exercise with me right now. I know we're in April right now, but if you can just think, think about how obsessed we get at Christmas time, right? Think about what you got for Christmas. I bet you it would take you two or three minutes to even remember what you got for Christmas. And we've just realized, of, and all the consuming at Christmas time, most of what we were consuming was going to a landfill within six months. And so now now we've tried to be more intentional with how we spend, how we think through what will be good, intelligent gifts that won't hurt our planet. Because in the consumption that we do in the West, oftentimes it's hurting those in the minority. So all that to say, listen, you may push back on some of that and say, that's not for me. All we would want to do in this is to live with an awareness of how we are affecting our planet and how we are consuming. The other thing we would encourage you in is just to live simply. We encourage you to strategize as a family, just your own carbon footprint. And as a church, we've thought through this, simple living ultimately is better on the environment. And so as we talk about simplicity, as we've talked about simplicity the last few weeks, I think one of the things it does, the 
the response to a simple life is actually a better care for the creation. Um, many people have, even in our own community, thought through this. I know uh, we had Cam share a couple years ago on creation care and just the um, moving away from eating meat partly because of its environmental concerns and what uh, beef production, different things like that do. And so you, I mean, again, people just need to wrestle through this on their own. We're not saying this is something you have to do, but just living intentionally and living simply. And then the third thing is this, is Sabbath. Sabbath. Um, this is the one practice that I find the hardest as an A-type personality. I've just really struggled to Sabbath. But I think God is onto something in the laws around Sabbath in the Old Testament and actually what it does for the creation. Um, A.J. Swoboda, in his brilliant book on Sabbath, it is, uh, to me, the best book written on Sabbath and rest and slowing down. I know there's other books uh, that are more popular right now, but I would say A.J.'s work in this area is second to none. He's done a great job. It's called Subversive Sabbath. And in that book, he actually has a chapter where he talks about the implications of Sabbath on the environment. And honestly, that chapter alone is worth the admission into the book because AJ just begins to talk about how through Sabbath, the environment is actually cared for. That through this, through God's idea of the world stopping and, and those who follow him um, taking rest one day a week, there's actually environmental benefits from us slowing down. In a world right now where nothing stops, let's be honest, production doesn't stop, work doesn't stop, the cult and religion of youth sports, I think about that, it doesn't, doesn't stop and I can critique it because I'm in it, very involved in youth sports right now. And I'll just say, it's crazy to watch the evolution where nothing stops. You're always traveling, you're always going somewhere, stores are open every single day, nothing stops. And because of the hamster wheel that we're on, we're affecting the environment. One of the things AJ would say is maybe be with this whole vision that God had for the world, that Sabbath could be a thing that is actually good for our environment and God's good creation. That we cease, we stop. And in the ceasing of our work, it's actually better. I don't know if you know this, one of the things right now that some people are writing about is how COVID and all the disorientation that it's brought has actually been a good thing for the environment. And though I would not wish this season we've had on us again ever, through the death toll, through the mental health implications, through the polarization of left and right, everybody has become an armchair expert on you know, viruses and political issues. I mean, all that has come with it. I would never wish this on us at all, but it's fascinating how the environment has actually improved and climate care has improved because there's less transportation, there's less commuting, there's less things that we're doing that oftentimes can be harmful to the environment. Again, I would never wish, wish this on, any, on, on us again, ever. But I think, I think God's plan, God had a plan in this. Sabbath, to rest, to shut everything off one day a week. And that actually has long-term positive effects for our environment. Not just for our soul. Obviously, Sabbath is a beautiful thing for our own spirituality and our own following Jesus, but for those around us. And if it's true that how we consume as far as the environment affects those in some of the poorest nations, 
Maybe Sabbath is a way for us to rethink about how we could positively affect, <coughs> excuse me, the poor and the powerless. What if everything was given a rest? I actually think God was onto something. With all that said, those are some ways I just think we as a community c- can continue to join in in stewarding God's good world. And a reminder to us that you cannot disconnect following God from caring for this great creation. It started in a garden. The creation now is groaning and longing to be renewed. This is our theology. But remember, where are we headed? We are headed to a renewed, purified, brought together city. That heaven is coming here. That God is bringing heaven and earth, God is bringing heaven and earth back together. And just as in the garden, humans, proto-human was called to cultivate, we will create and cultivate and steward God's good world forever. And my thing would be, why don't we do this now? Let's live in the present as though we're going to live in the future. We can't, brothers and sisters, do it all on our own. Our greatest efforts will fall short. This is, there's no guilt trip in here, even around some of these practical things. And yet, I think we can live in the present like we're going to live in the future. Now get this, get this. As we come and we worship together today, and as we take time to take bread and wine together, isn't it crazy that the fundamental central sacrament to Christians are things from the earth, right? Now today you may have like Ritz crackers or whatever and maybe juice or something, but think about it, bread and wine are the very things that come from the earth. And this is what we eat and consume. And this is, this is actually how we remember Jesus and his saving work for us. Things from our very own environment. Crazy. And let that not be lost on us, that God is not looking at us disembodied, that we're going to be souls just floating away someday. No, 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 no. God gave us bread and wine to remember him. Because even in the things that don't seem that fascinating or amazing, The things like in how we eat and what comes from the ground is actually important in our lives because God has created us as people who steward. And so as we take, and that may be metaphorically for us today, just with the circumstances that we're in, as we take bread and wine together, let us be reminded of this. God cares for this planet. He's not throwing it out. His saving work is to reconcile all people to himself. And if you haven't done that and you haven't reached out and you haven't given your trust or your loyalty to Jesus as king, I just encourage you to do that today. And it's not a but, and God has then called us to live as his followers in this world, as his kings and queens. So we're gonna sing together. And my encouragement to you is where you are today, take the bread and take the wine or whatever you have with you. And let's take it remembering Jesus' work on the cross and what he's done for us. But also, let's let's take it in celebration of where God is leading us to, a completely renewed world.